Welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest this week is Christopher Alberg, uh, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder at Recorded Future. Recorded Future making a lot of noise in the threat intel space, uh, data analytics, machine learning, big data, all the buzzwords that we are tracking in the industry this, these days. Uh, Chris, I want to start off with what is Recorded Future? Uh, there, there, there's so so much that you guys do. How do you, you know, put uh, the, the the sales pitch into a nutshell? No, that's good. I'm glad you started off there. So first of all, thanks for having me here today. The the so so what's recorded future? You know, look, we got started as a open source research platform, trying to just say, look, open source is becoming a fantastic place. Uh, you know, the the world's information is flowing to the internet at a faster pace than you know you could ever imagine. So that's where we got started, open sources. We do that today in 30 different languages and, and re- really just build a fantastic place for doing research in open source. When you then say o- open source, you're talking about like infiltrating dark markets, just kind of doing all the OSINT background work. You had a team kind of digging around stuff and, and, and preparing I, I would this. Say we, got started, we got started in open source. Then we've added to that what we think about as closed source and dark or dark sources, if you want. But I, I like the idea of closed sources. Uh, so where it's, it's your point, it's about infiltrating technical communities or, or packer communities, whatever you want to call them, and, and being able to get to content that it's hard to get to. And then thirdly, we've added a, a lot of technical collection to our product. You know, we we don't run endpoints here, so we don't get endpoint visibility. But, but apart from that, we've tried to basically get visibility to everything and anything there is in terms of technical data, and then try to tie all of that together into what I like to think about as all source threat intel that really covers everything from open sources to dark slash closed sources to technical data, technical sourcing. Are you are you partnering with any endpoint, uh, the endpoint guides to like uh, uh, expand that visibility or make sure your visibility is as, as solid as, as it can be? Uh, so, so we don't do uh, actual import of that sort of data today. We certainly have partnered with endpoint companies of various sorts to be able to feed our data. You know, that's for example, we've done some great great work with uh, with uh, some examples. Carbon Black is a good example, Palo Alto Security, you know, Palo Alto Network. So, so, you know, so we've done good partnering in that area, but there's more to do. There's always more to do. Do you view those guys as competitors or are you more or less putting together the platform that allows people to uh, use those feeds and use their visibility uh, within a single platform? Because I know you had a big announcement yesterday about putting this yeah, no, together into this unified platform. Yeah, no, exactly. So, so no, we're very comfortable working with with the whole range of companies. In fact, even the the sort of the, the closest sort of threat intel companies, the ones that are closest to us, we we don't we're very comfortable in what we're doing. I think it's because we've sort of we've been able to build a platform, as you mentioned, that that first of all have covered all these different areas of of uh, open and closed and, and technical sourcing, and now we've just opened up the platform with our announcement of Fusion yesterday to, to allowing customers and partners feed proprietary data into the platform. So we're just very comfortable working with a range of companies. We're not afraid of others. You know, the, we're good friends with the people at Palo Alto and FireEye and Splunk and all of those sort of companies. We're good friends with the endpoint companies. So, so we're just very comfortable working with 
with, with um, all kinds of companies to make great things happen for our customers. And, and that's sort of what it's all about. You know, A, we're great geeks. We love our threat intel stuff. We'll geek out all day. And then making sure that that stuff does great things for our customers. And I think if we do that, good things will happen. When I talk to CISOs and I, I, I raise the issue of threat intel and the use of threat intel in the enterprise, it, it, they're very... It, it varies. Uh, the responses are always varied. It's uh, how do I rely on data feeds uh, plugged into my whatever my scanning tool is in my infrastructure to pinpoint signs of compromise. But that that is not really hundred percent relevant without the context that goes into it. So you might you might run your scan and you might find an IP address associated with something, but that might pinpoint the size of uh, the sign of a compromise, but they might have already done their lateral movement and went somewhere else without that context. There's no real legitimacy to that, you know, that result. How how can CISOs or people responsible for securing organizations rely on threat intelligence when, uh, in many cases, there's absence of context? One and secondly, the more more importantly. How do I make sure I'm getting enough visibility without having to buy every feed from every vendor? It's good. Those are, let's see, I think I heard sort of three questions in there. Yeah, I'll start it's, it's, the, just, it's just I'll my start random. The, yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good. I'll start with the geeky part because, again, that's, that's me. Um, you know, the, what we've really tried to do here, I used the word all source analysis before, and, and the idea of tying all the different pieces together. So, you know, we spent a lot of time mapping out threat actors here, recorded future, mapping out malware, or all kinds of TTPs, if you want, mapping out vulnerabilities, mapping out IPs and domains and hashes, and then tying all that together. So whether your you're sort of uh, the, the scenario you described starts with an individual IP and rapidly be able to tie that back to whether it's a threat actor or a campaign or start with a threat actor and take it down to look, look what are the most current IOCs we've associated with that actor. Our job is to make sure that we can connect as much as easily as ever possible all those dots. In fact, I like to call it sort of pre-connecting those dots. That's what we live and die for here. So that's our job. Now, when it comes to a CISO, I think it's true. You know, there's, first of all, there there's sort of people who naturally are inclined to, to think about that. That's probably the CISO who comes out of an intelligence organization. They sort of have worked in Intel before. Uh, or, or in that type of org, and, and they'll sort of be naturally inclined to believe that Intel is important. Then there's others, and, and hey, they might be doing just as fine of a job, who are naturally more just thinking about, look, I'm just going to harden my perimeter, and look, I don't really worry about what's happening outside. But look, here, I think, and, and I'm not exactly objective in this, but if you think, if, if you just sort of take, look out ahead and, and say, where is this all going to go? And you know, we, we build higher and higher and thicker and thicker and thicker walls. And, you know, but the bad guys still get through. Uh, it, it sort of obviously keeps happening. Uh, and the problem is, of course, that as defenders, we need to know every single hole in, hole in the wall. But the bad guy just needs to find one and get through. So, you know, there are only so many ways you can counter that. And, and here is where I obviously fundamentally believe that one of the few ways you can deal with this problem is to go... And I'll say, use my Game Game of Thrones analogy here, go north of the wall. We've got to go outside our, our perimeter. We've got to go, whether it's into the, uh, you know, into the darkest corners of the web and dig out what the bad guys are up to, or just orchest- organizing 
what's what's known and make sure that we use that to cover up those holes. I you know that I think people will come around to that. We've seen a tremendous change over the last two three years of people who have, are coming around to that. It's not easy, but it's just it's a very natural place for things to go. But I need to buy feeds from everyone selling feeds to make sure I'm getting the right visibility north of the wall. Um, and that that's the question is like how how do I know what which feeds or which threat intel offering uh, will give me the widest possible visibility or coverage or should I figure out yeah, investing a, in all? That's that's that's, that's the headache a, they're facing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and it's not like the threat intel vendors, including ourselves, are helping here, are we? But because, you know, we sort of just, you know, use all kinds of words and nobody's trying to put metrics to this. We've been do, working on methodologies to try to help people, you know, quantify the risk that they're exposed to, or maybe more importantly, quantify what types of risks they're exposed to, depending on their tech stack, depending on their industry, depending on their profile, and then be able to, and then combine that with the sort of what, what actual, you know, tech stack and what defenses or what controls they have in place. And based on that, being able to say, look, this is the sort of intelligence you need to collect. And so we think there are ways to be able to be more systematic about that. And, you know, of course, we'd like to think here at Recorded Future that we help people sort of uh, get a very broad view and, and get a deep view uh, and, and, uh, and be able to do that in a way, regardless if you're a bank or an insurance company or an oil company and so on and so forth. But look, I think it's probably fair to say that over the next three, four years, this will be not just a single vendor. There will be multiple vendors. There will be people who are very specialized in certain domains. Somebody who knows everything about banking fraud in Northern Australia. Now, that might be an exaggeration, but right. it's, it's, uh, it's not easy. But, you know, I think this is where people are smart to get together with their peers and understand what actually makes a difference in their industry. Here's something yeah. I here's something I hear a lot, and I don't know if you hear it. Is the threat intel vendors uh, or or the practitioners in the threat intel space focus heavily on nation state type attacks, uh, tracking governments, uh, government versus government, or government versus industry, uh, 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 nation state targeting you know media, uh, critical infrastructure, and a, a lot of companies tell me. You know, I'm not really a target for those guys. Why should I care about what uh, what's happening at the nation state, what I call top of the pyramid uh, uh, attack level? Why no, I should think, they care? Yeah, why, why should they? So, so I'll, I'll say, number one, I think people should be absolutely equally worried about criminals because the criminals are, you know, nation states wake up in the morning and say, look, I'm after target X. I'm going to go you know, typically go steal something, you know, I'm, I'm going to steal information typically, and I want to get that information. I want to get it, go in, get the information and then leave and, and make as little noise as ever possible. That's, you know, if you're a spy, that's what you do. Uh, whereas if you're a criminal, you're going to be much less discriminatory and you're going to go take the money or take the whatever you're going to take in whatever the easiest way you're going to find the most sort of the most convenient target. So we spend probably here our time at Recorded Future, we, we typically historically did better on the criminal side, but then over the last year, year I would say, for the next, yeah, say last nine months to a year, have built out our, our APT, Intel services, whatever you want to call it, intelligence services, sort of uh, tracking in, in a really strong way. 
So, look, uh, I think A, people should be equally worried about criminals, but then B, to your question, why would we now, you know, why should companies care, corporations care about intelligence agencies? And, and I do think that, you know, it's changing, you know, so the tool sets that used to be very specialized, used for very specialized targets, have unfortunately started leaking out. We've seen it from, you know, multiple U.S. agencies as well as others where, you know, these tool sets have not stayed in the hands of the spies. And I, I remember Bruce, uh, 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 no, I, now I'm going to blank on his name here. But anyway, uh, one of the, the great researchers here in Boston uh, who made this uh, comment about how, look, these tool sets that are used by the high-end spies, they're going to, you know, they're going to jump, they're going to leak. And so that's now happened. So now any of us can be targeted by this stuff. And so the world is not as simple as it uh, once was. Bruce Schneier, Schneier, of course, that was his, that was his comment. And, and I think he was right. So, so the world is not as simple and, and we all need to worry. Yeah, one of the things that often get overlooked is the issue of collateral damage. I just saw a story, probably going to butcher the name, this Danish big shipping conglomerate, Maersk. Mer- Maersk. 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 Maersk, is that pronouncing it right? Maersk. Maersk was collateral damage from a nation-state ransomware attack against the Ukraine. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how they got in, but like the the recovery and the damage from that, the uh, their chairman just appeared at the World Economic Forum talking about reinstalling 4,000 servers, 45,000 PCs, and 2,500 applications in a 10-day period uh, because of you know, falling victim to collateral damage from nation-state attacks. And what we also know is that a lot of these nation-state high-end APT campaigns target not only their, uh, a victim in a specific profile, but we've seen media organizations, we've seen healthcare organizations, we've seen, you know, startups, dot-coms, uh, technology companies, all within yeah, yeah. the victim profile. And, and that often get overlooked when people say, well, I'm not really a target for nation state type thing, so I shouldn't really focus on those things. It's 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 pretty dangerous thinking. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, you know, sort of um, historically people have liked to say, look, I've done my homework, I've done my threat modeling, and according to my threat modeling, these are the sort of actors I should worry about. And look, I don't think the problem is the threat modeling. Doing threat modeling is totally fine, but it's more than fine. It's, a, it's good and important. But the idea is that I can do a threat model, put that in a binder, and then not worry about it. The whole point of intelligence is not just to get me a feed of indicators, but that I need to use intelligence in in maybe not real time, but not far from real time to update, you know, my threat modeling. It's no difference from if you're a military actor on the field, uh, you know, and, and, you know, whether you're a battalion of tanks or, or a company of in- infantry running around, you know, things change. And you can't just be statically saying, look, I'm only worried about, the, you know, the, the sort of attacker X because suddenly attacker Y shows up. And that's the whole role of intelligence is to make sure that I keep abreast of the types of attackers that, that I might be faced. And so this sort of static risk modeling that people have been thinking about, that's the problem. I want to dig into something, especially as we're talking about this nation state type attacks, is uh, this ongoing discussion about companies uh, tracking nation-state actors and uh, let me figure out how to phrase this and their their willingness to go public with certain campaigns or a a decision to not go public with certain campaigns based on their own 
uh, you know, their own interests or their own wherever they're based. And uh, Recorded Future was was uh, 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 born out of Incutel, uh, which in 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 our circles is the, the CIA backed uh, nonprofit that funds you know interesting technologies. Do you find that you get any sort of blowback pushback about being a quote unquote CIA company? Is that something you that that you struggle with? No, 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 not. Uh, I would say the inverse, actually. So it probably it probably unfairly gives us a gloria of mystique and and uh, and stuff that is totally unfair. But uh, it's all good. <laughs> the Incutel was part of uh, funding my last company as well, Spotfire, mm-hmm. uh, as well as this company. We're big fans. Uh, have known those guys for a long time, and I, then I mean, I make myself sound old here, but for a long time, you know, they've been around for a long time now. Not uh, only that, they've funded some legit, like really, really good companies over yeah, the years. Yeah. That never had. I mean, I, I, I'm not personally saying that you're a CIA company. I'm just saying I, there's this perception. And yeah, especially no, Especially no, as you get into this nation state, yeah, yeah, where no, world. You can dig out the the famous intercept article that Glenn Greenwald wrote about us in 2014, and and you know he yelled at us, he yelled at everybody, and and uh, you know said all kinds of stuff, and and we just read it and smiled. Uh, you know the the uh, you know look, we have never ever gotten any tasking, any orders, any instructions, anything from any government, U.S. or any other government, to do anything. We're, we're a company. We're not a political tool. We build software. We build great software. And we try to help companies defend themselves. Now, you know, we have investors like Google. We have investors like Incutel. And people love conspiracies. And, of course, you know, you can find, what's his name, the, the crazy person who does InfoWars. Uh, you know, he, he, he did a blog, uh, not only a blog, he did a, a TV thing on us back in 2013 or 20 something, yeah, 2013 on Google and Incutel investing in Recorded Future and came up with 900 conspiracies. You know, the crazy people are always going to come up with crazy, crazy stuff and we'll just smile and move on. You got on Alex Jones's show? I did. (laughs) Something, isn't it? (laughs) That's a badge of honor. I know. Uh, Alex Jones, that's his name. Yeah, no, exactly. It is. It, it, it is a legitimate question in this realm. Uh, I, as you know, I spent the last ten years at Kaspersky Lab, and they're dealing with their own issues around, you know, uh, uh, conspiracies or perception that they're close to certain governments. Um, and one of the things is, and, and and the Kaspersky folks say it, and it's a legitimate thing: is where are the U.S. companies with uh, disclosing or warning about? Uh, nation-state type attacks uh, originating from the West. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. and you've put out work around, uh, you know, run, uh, North Korean attacks and so, some of that stuff. Is that a discussion that you guys have in your boardrooms about, well, how do we handle this? So, so we, you know, uh, we, we, A, we're, we love discussion in our company, number one. Uh, uh, so I'm sort of, I'd like to think that I hope that my colleagues agree that we have, I don't know, high ceiling or whatever. So we, we discuss all kinds of different things. We're very, we are certainly an American company, but we're also a very international company. So, you know, we have people in Sweden, we have people in England, we have people now in Asia, we have people in a lot of different places. So, I always make the first point when we have these sort of discussions, I think that Recorded Future is a terrible company to try to keep 
you know, super duper secret stuff that, you know, it's sort of, uh, the, it would be the worst company on the planet to ask to do anything devious because it's, it's just not set up for doing devious stuff. Um, again, con contrary to, to conspiracies. So why do we have to rely on international companies to raise the alert for uh, uh, big high-end campaigns that might be originating, not necessarily only from the US, but from the West and American companies? There are a lot of really, really good, high-quality American companies doing threat intel on the endpoint side with greater visibility than some of these international companies. But we only hear about Western attacks originating from the West from those guys. There just seems to be a disconnect there. Yeah, you know, I it's it's hard. Like, so first, just, you know, we've never been dragged to any, any of that. So that's, you know, I guess that's good news. And, and, and you know, we've just tried to keep ourselves to be very clean and, and very simple about what we do. Uh, now, that said, you know, I, you know, sometimes we've seen, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, I can only speak for ourselves, and we just try to be again. Is that a legit concern, though? No, I don't know what legit. You mean legit concern regarding us or no, no, the, no. in the industry as a whole? In the industry as a whole, that uh, uh, the big, uh, the big companies with a lot of resources tracking uh, uh, attacker activity around the world are rarely public about. Yeah, I know it's it's very hard for me to say. I don't have good visibility to that, um, and I'm not trying to be sneaky or try to avoid the question. I'm sure there's relationships in all kinds of different places. If I was a spy, and I'm not, I'm a, just a stupid software guy, but if I was a spy that was going to try to get to information, I would take advantage of all kinds of different things. You know, that's sort of the job that those guys have. And, you know, if, if that's taking advantage of information security companies, I'm sure they're trying to. Um, the, the problem I would recommend somebody who is the CEO of a network, an entrepreneur or a startup guy who's building a company is that, you know, there might be easy money to, to be had by sort of helping, you know, doing those sort of things. But in the end game, the risk is that you're not really building a company. You're building a, a sort of a tool. You be, become a t political tool. And don't become a political tool. You, it's very hard to mix up being a political tool and being a company. And I think we've observed that. So, so just stay clear of that stuff. Just build great companies and, and uh, good things will happen. And this is a good segue for this question that I like to ask people and I never really get a decent answer to it. Uh, <laughs> and because probably there is no decent answer to it. And again, it's full of nuance. But uh, in, in, men, in many cases, nation state type high end attacks or let's let's call it campaigns are going after you know legitimately bad guys there may be a campaign trying to track a terrorist organization somewhere or someone uh, uh, bent on doing damage now there's it, it becomes an issue of uh, do I expose something that is really keeping people safe and potentially saving lives is it ever appropriate in your opinion and and and, and you know, I'm just curious for your riff on this. Is, is, is it ever appropriate for an endpoint vendor and an anti-malware vendor to turn a blind eye to a nation state attack if they know, if their researchers sit in a room and they know that the target and, and the people that you're going after are real bad people? Or do we take this? Uh, yeah, you know, this is sort of the stuff that uh, some of the DDoS vendors have been asked about. Is it appropriate if they're saying... 
look, we're going to sell DDoS protection for everybody on the planet. And then suddenly they're selling DDoS for Al Qaeda or DDoS for child pornographers. And is it is it reasonable that they then sort of... Uh, right, the purity of the research versus, you know, uh, uh, quote unquote, doing the right thing. Cloudflare had this just... Yeah, no, providing... I it's a great example. And, and, and that's a fantastic company. We love what they do. We actually use Cloudflare ourselves. And is it appropriate for them under certain circumstances to, I know that they sort of have a libertarian bent to them. So it's probably a hard thing to do. But I, I if it was me, I would be willing to step away for like, you know, if for if I was Cloudflare, I would not want to sell, you know, the protection for whether it's Al Qaeda and or bar, uh, what do you call them, child pornographers. But, you know, it becomes hard because suddenly they do that and, and then they remove it from wasn't didn't they end up in making the difference between Al Qaeda and other Arabic named organizations that turned out to be Kurdish because somebody was not clever enough in about the language. I don't right, know if that's it's, it's not limited to this. It's a discussion it's that's happening in the bug bounty world where Bug, I think it was Bug, well, no, it might have been Hacker One was heavily criticized for running a bug bounty program for a, a, a company that was spying on, on spouses and what are the, you know, what are the implications of providing security services to a company that's doing shady things? I know it's it's hard. You know, like now you have to have good morals when you're going to do this stuff. I think that's that's important. You got to be ethical. You got to be legal. We, you know, in our industry in threat intel, maybe you know. So I don't know enough about the NRVs sort of stuff on on the endpoint side. But in threat intel, you got a lot of choices to do there as well. There's a lot of people who will do things like they'll go into a forum and say, "Look, I got ten thousand bucks. What do you have to sell me?" And and that way they might be in you know sort of. Um, uh, you know, what do you call it? Like inducing crime. We don't do that because we think it's a unethical and b it's illegal. You know, and there, we, you know, so so there is a lot of you know. If you're going to be in information security and do a nice job, I think you have to be ethical. You have to be legal. But sometimes there are going to be some tough choices. That no, right, no, but that's that's the point. question. There's there's an ethical and moral discussion that happens uh, in teams. Like, uh, do we do we interrupt this campaign? when we we are quite sure we have a high degree of confidence that this campaign is uh, uh, potentially stopping bad things or do we stay do we stick to the purity of our research and say here's a campaign we protect all users regardless of uh, what it does and block it and the, the, again the question is is it ever appropriate for, uh, for for someone not to stop these attacks it's it's a it's hard, hard question. I, I, it's, it's very hard. You know, like I, I would try to avoid, you know, and again, this is, you know, I'm not being part of those sort of discussions myself, but I think number one, don't try to play sort of the guardian angel yourself. If, if you do really have those sort of doubts, is it's probably the time to call up the appropriate law enforcement and, and, and then try to figure out things. You know, now here's where, you know, there are a lot of people, and this is what's fun about information security. There are a lot of people with very strong views. You know, there are people who are extreme libertarians. There are people who are, okay, you know, like all kinds of different views that we find. And then plus nationalism. So, so I find information security is fun in that way is that we have these, you know, strong nationalities plus strong sort of, you know, all kinds of strong views. And, and that's what makes it hairy, but it's also what makes it fun. I love it. Uh, what are you reading these days? I know you, every time I see you, you're walking through an airport with a book in your hand. Um, Good. Uh, so I'm right now I'm reading that it's a fantasy book called American Gods. Very clever. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to start explaining that, but that that's what I'm reading right now. So 
Great, I need, great. I need some book recommendations. I always have a sticky note on my desk to ping you for some book recommendations. So, uh, I'll, I'll bring that to when we meet at SAS. I'll reach out. What What's next for, for Recorded Future? I know you had your big announcement yesterday with this unified platform. That was the, you know, we've over the last two, three years, the big thing has been bu- building out our own sort of old source collection, really cutting across open and closed and, and, and technical sourcing. And now then with a big announcement of Recorded Future Fusion yesterday, the point was to be able to allow clients and, and customers and partners to bring in their proprietary data, which could be anything from, you know, nonprofits like FSI SAC, or it could be a client, you know, a bank or an oil company's own data into the product or, you know, partner companies and, and really allow people to sort of put together unique Intel feeds using our platform. And so we're super excited about that, and and it sort of oh, it really turns everything on its head. So we're very very excited about that. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, really appreciate the time to talk. Hopefully we'll get to do this again another day. Absolutely, very good. See you soon. Thank you.